Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. It feels like every time you turn the news on, it's more bad news. Uh, but we do have some good news for you today. This is a brand new episode today, and we're going to keep cranking out this brand new content here on Westwood One every single day that we can. But before we get started, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you a little bit about money. Uh, for a lot of us, we, we lost some money in the stock market in this last month. And a lot of us are nervous about our future employment and what those opportunities may look like as things continue to shut down. It starts to look a little more bleak and there's lots of question marks. Well, this is an opportunity right now. If there is a silver lining for you to reset your financial future. It really gives you an opportunity right now to sort of hit the reset button on your household finances. Of course, I'm talking about what I do every day, even now, savewithconrad.com. I'm licensed in more than 40 states and I'm helping families all over America go ahead and reset their financial future. And I can help you do this too. For starters, we'll show you how to skip your next two house payments. That's probably going to come in handy right now. But at the same time, we can help you get rid of all your credit card debt. Now, the interest you pay on your credit card is not only an outrageous rate, probably more than 20%, but it's also not tax deductible, whereas the interest you pay on your mortgage is tax deductible, and you get to skip your next two house payments. Not only that, if you're in a 30-year loan, we can show you how to go ahead and take your 30-year loan and pay it off in half the time. Interest rates are still very, very good. But most importantly, we can show you how to pull some cash out of your house. We can show you how to go ahead and have that extra rainy day fund that maybe you don't have right now. So it might be a good idea to tap into some of the equity in your home, get a great rate in the process, get rid of some credit card debt, lower your monthly payments, even skip your next two house payments. The goal is to help you get a little more peace of mind, man. Just feel better about what the future holds, just that you're ready for it. Uh, because I don't think anybody really expected this. So let's uh, try to make the most of it. Let's look for the silver lining. And let's take this opportunity to take control of your finances and hit the reset button. Now you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some money, we won't waste your time. Find out how easy it is. Get a quick quote right now. Even talk to a live person at savewithconrad.com. That's savewithconrad.com. If you'd like to go ahead and just do a full application, by all means do so. That's applywithconrad.com. Or if you just have a question, man, shoot me an email. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And of course, it's no cost, no obligation. And if I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. Find out how easy it is with a free quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. And without any further ado, here's a brand new episode right here on Westwood One. 
Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, Bruce, besides exhausted beyond all relative terms. How are you? I'm so happy. I'm so gay. I can come every day. I'm your mailman. I don't mess with keys or locks. I'll just stick it in your box. I'm your mailman. I can come in any kind of weather. That's because my sack is made of leather. I'm so happy. I'm so gay. I can come every day. I'm your Mailman, my God, how much better can you get? Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a fun episode, a very punchy, a very sleepy, a very tired, a very exhausted. Bruce Pritchard is here to talk WrestleMania 11. Uh, this is a different time. 25 years ago, April 2nd, 1995, the Hartford civic center in Hartford, Connecticut. There's 15,000 fans. The gates around 750 grand. This is down from the previous WrestleMania in 1994 that had 18,065 fans. The pay-per-view buy rate is a 1.3, which is also lower than what we got for WrestleMania 10, which was a 1.68, but it is higher than the 1.2 that we got for WrestleMania 12. Um, when you hear the business numbers here, I mean, first of all, 15,000 fans and a 750 gate, that's never bad, but this is not the WrestleMania that the company is going to grow accustomed to it's, it's a challenging, rather unique time in 95. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Business was tough at this time. And, you know, we're coming off of an anniversary of, of WrestleMania 10. And that was a big deal. That was something that was, you're, you're celebrating 10 years. And I think there were a lot of people that wondered whether or not that the company would make it to 10 WrestleManias. I think that when the first one happened, that was a really extravaganza type show. It was like the big show. And they think you think, okay, Hey man, we'll have no one next year. Then we'll have one the year after that. And, and so on and so forth. So 
now you've hit a milestone with 10. You're going into 11. And it's um, business isn't that great. You've done a couple of stadiums by this point. And I think the, the overall feeling was maybe you will make more money if you go into an arena versus the expense of a large stadium trying to sell that many tickets, you could sell fewer tickets at a higher price point. Maybe that works. And that was kind of the idea behind WrestleMania 11. And also to the point of it was in our backyard, Hartford. It was in a place where Lawrence Taylor was still, you know, yeah, it was New York and we were in new England, but, there, there were fans divided, man. They loved their LT, and he had just retired. So this was a good time It's an for inter- that. It's uh, an we inter- felt that way. An interesting show for us to beat up and talk about. But I, I want to circle back to something you said there when you talked about how perhaps maybe it's more profitable uh, to not try to sell as many tickets and have the great expense of running a stadium show. Let's keep more of our profit, maybe move the ticket price up a little bit and run an arena. Uh, but perhaps with lower overhead and higher ticket prices, you still come out ahead. I've heard some people say in recent years that perhaps now modern day 2020, there are less wrestling fans than maybe there used to be, but those who are still with us are much more passionate and probably spend more money on it than they used to. Do you, do you subscribe to that theory that perhaps the fans who are engaged now, uh, maybe spend more than, than they used to? I think that the fans that are engaged now, yes, they definitely spend more, but I do disagree that they're less fans. And I just think that, you know, again, you can skew numbers any way that you want to skew numbers. Uh, has there been less of an audience? Sure there has. And that goes with everything because of the way that people consume their entertainment today. And the way that people consume their entertainment today is different than the way that they did 30 years ago. Well, nobody's questioning that for sure. And this is still WrestleMania. So, you know, it is going to have big numbers, but we should talk about sort of just the lay of the land. We're coming off of the Royal rumble. We saw Shawn Michaels make rumble history, being the first man to win it from the number one spot that earned him a world title shot at WrestleMania against former friend and bodyguard, the world champion diesel. We also saw at the Royal rumble, bam, bam, Bigelow push NFL hall of famer, Lawrence Taylor, who was sitting ringside. That sets up their match here at WrestleMania 11, and we'll get into all of that. There's sort of two main events here that the show is built around. Uh, obviously, this is not the the strongest year for the company in 1995. Let's talk a little bit about when you guys decided on Sean Diesel on top, and how you decided which one's a heel, which one's a babyface. I know that sounds silly, but it does feel like the typical story in wrestling is there's a big nasty monster heel. And then there is the, you know, David and Goliath story with a smaller baby face. That's not the case here. Instead, the big nasty heel is actually a good guy. And the chicken shit heel is a smaller guy with a big bodyguard. Was this always the plan? When did you know this was going to be our plan for WrestleMania 11? You know, I, I would have to say maybe November or even even a little bit. Yeah, probably November would, would have to be it. Because um, that's when we made the, the switch to diesel and we were going that way. The idea behind the relationship with Sean and diesel, it just kind of made sense 
to go with Sean. And there was a sentiment, at least amongst uh, Pat Patterson and myself, that we felt that Sean was was the huge baby face in that deal and not necessarily Diesel. And Vince didn't feel that. Vince was, was set and he really wanted to get Diesel over and put the championship on Diesel, get behind Diesel and move forward, trying to get someone else in that position, a la Shawn Michaels, um, was going to be a losing battle and it would, would have been an uphill battle. I'm not sure I d- necessarily agree with that, but that's what we did. And we we pushed so hard that around the Royal Rumble, we were given the edict, don't bring it up again. Don't, don't bring up Shawn being a babyface again. He's a cocky little arrogant heel. That's how the audience sees him, and um, that's what we're going to do. You also have to understand there wasn't, even though it is a minority, um, the online presence, there wasn't that presence at this point in time. Right. There wasn't a loud, you know, boisterous group who would bitch and moan about every single thing that you did. Um you know, we would use as a barometer a lot of times whether or not that vocal minority in the dirt sheet group, if they liked something, that usually meant we did something wrong. Right. If they hated it, it usually meant it was extremely successful. So they were hating this, and we thought, okay, well, this should be pretty good. Um, but I, I think that for us, and you, you listen to the audience night in and night out, that while they did not like the character Shawn Michaels and they did not like uh, him, you know, in the role that he played, they loved his work and they, they respected it and they applauded it. So I always felt we were fighting an uphill battle to, you know, make him this nasty heel. The counter to that was, well, we'll put him, put a nasty heel with him. Sid Vicious, and that's going to help. Eh, don't know if it did. Well, I know it didn't. Let's um, let's keep it moving and talk a little bit about, uh, and, and this is just where we are in business, year over year. February of 94, your average attendance is 3,130 fans. February of 95, it's up 12.8%, 3,590 fans. Your average gate in February of 94 was just 40 grand here. It's up 39 and a half percent to 55,000 and change. You're actually still selling out some house shows. You're running smaller arenas. Your ratings are identical. It's a 2.1 in February of 94. It's a 2.1 in February of 95. When you see these numbers, it feels like it's trending in the right direction. Did you guys think you had some momentum here? Or in your opinion, do you think Vince felt like they were still treading water since they weren't quite uh, where they once had been before. Well, I think that from our vantage point with the government investigation, everything else that was going on was we were not where we could be because we had to be cautious every step along the way. And you always, no matter where you are, you can be sitting on top of the world, looking down at the universe and you still will question, God damn, what, how do we miss that galaxy over there? Right. 
So that's the that's the mindset, and that's where you're at. But when you're kind of in the more in the middle, looking around, going "fuck," there's people on top, there's people beside you. You know, and we we weren't at the top of our game. We just weren't. We'd had better years. You've talked a little bit in the past, and I forget. Was it Lisa Wolf who said Vince just needs a hit? Yeah, that was Lisa's thing. Uh, Vince just needs a hit, you know, and and I'm like. You know, we, we just need, yeah, we, we needed something to, to break out one more time and, and to break out beyond. Now, you know, nowadays people use us to break out and then we, we used other people, but you have to, you have to grow from the outside in. It's just interesting to me because it does feel like, you know, when I watch this show back for the first time in a long time, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing in one sitting until this week and it's really stands out. Like even when you start the show that they're running through the history of WrestleMania and they go, you know, one through 10, but obviously there's so much different in the company, you know, Hulk Hogan, who was really the, the pillar WrestleMania was built around, uh, for the first nine shows he's now with WCW. And so is the macho man. And obviously Ric Flair, who was in a high profile position at eight. So there's just a lot of talent. Who's no longer here. The biggest of which of, of course is Hulk Hogan. So as they're sort of telling the story of all the WrestleManias, they're telling it by showcasing celebrities and with so many celebrities at WrestleMania 11, and it's not across the country or in a major market. It's in Vince's backyard. It does feel like how much of this is Vince needs a hit. Let's run a local arena, save some trans. Let's not try to sell, you know, six, 60,000 tickets. Let's, uh, try to recruit as much press as we could. Cause around the ring, you see just tons of ringside photographers. So any sort of mainstream press that we can get that we don't have to pay for, let's court that. And then let's pile in as many celebrities as we can, whether it's, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Thomas or Jenny McCarthy or Pamela Anderson or anybody in between, it feels like. Vince is saying, man, let's just, let's just look for our next hit, including let's look for an NFL hall of famer. Who's just retired and put him in the main event, hoping we can get some mainstream publicity again. It feels like I don't have my Hulk Hogan. I got to find my next hit. And I think that, you know, as far as that star that was hopeful to bring us out of that was, was Kevin Nash's diesel. That was the guy that we were we were looking at to say, okay, Hey, this is going to be the next guy, if you will. And LT was such a media magnet in the New York area, uh, from controversy to just being a darling, but also, you know, he, he made the news, you know, if LT sneezed, they, they were there, they were, all about what's next and the thought that he may go from the NFL playing football to the world wrestling federation. That was huge news. And that was the, that was the story. And even going into it, you know, we didn't even start it out that way. It was innocent and we built to it and we built it all around the New York market, which it's an hour from New York to get to Hartford. And that, that was the, you know, that was the way we were looking at it. We were going to use LT to get eyeballs on the rest of everything that we do. Is this the era where, you know, and I know these are darker days, but 
You've even joked and it's been discussed that at one point Vince brought the, the water coolers out of Titan towers just to try to cut expenses. Was that 95? I don't know. That was just, uh, one of those, you take water coolers out and put water filters in and that's a big deal. So Eric Bischoff used that as, oh my God, they're taking the water coolers out. And that was something that was just blown out of proportion. Did it happen? Yes, it did. We took the water coolers out. Well, I'm just saying, you know, you know but this is also when guys took pay cuts, you know, you go to JJ Dillon yourself and I mean, we're tightening the belt quite a bit as my point. And I'm wondering how much of the decision-making here is based on, well, uh, if we run a Northeast based show, we won't have as much travel cost, not just for the talent, but for the cast and crew, it'll just be much more economical. We feel like we've got a better relationship with the media. We know we can draw a strong crowd. Maybe this is a very. Let's focus on as much profit as we can, and then let's try to get something that's going to appeal to the mainstream that's outside of the norm. Since we don't really have a Hulk Hogan larger than life pop icon, let's, uh, let's get a, a, an LT in here. 100%, 100%. You do it at home. You eliminate a shit ton full of expenses from people traveling and having to go off into whatever market that is and promote and do what they have to do. So the travel, all of that was taken into consideration. Sure. Let's, uh, let's talk about some moving and shaking sort of behind the scenes. Um, Meltzer would report that Sid is expected to debut as Sid justice in the role of Sean's bodyguard at the uh, tapings from February 20th through the 22nd. Uh, Michael's announced on TV. He was giving up his duties as co-host of raw and would be announcing his bodyguard on that show. And I guess it's worth mentioning that this is supposed to be allegedly an opportunity to set the stage for the return of Jesse Ventura. And of course, as we know, that didn't wind up happening. Uh, was there any sort of discussion as far as you recall of Jesse coming in here? Never to my recollection at all. It was never discussed with me about bringing Jesse back, especially during this time. Uh, the next time that Jesse's name really ever even came up was when we were in Minneapolis and we did the SummerSlam out of there and had Jesse be a guest referee. But no, uh, during this time, that, that's probably Dave Meltzer and Jesse's uh, agents and people, what have you, maybe making noise or just doing what they do now, making things up. Talk to me a little bit about Sid. He's previously with the company in 1992. He le he leaves not too terribly long after WrestleMania eight goes back to WCW. He doesn't last too terribly long there. And now he's back here. Was Vince just, uh, infatuated with the look, the size, or did you guys feel like, well, this is a different Sid we're getting this time. Well, we kind of hoped it was a different Sid we were getting, but Sid, when you look at Sid, Sid was one of those talents that. Sid had it. Yeah, absolutely. Sid had the look. He he could, he, Sid did draw money. Yes. And he had the look and he had the rap and, um, you know, he could go. So Sid was a proven commodity and it just, all of the other things, when you say Sid, <laughs> you know, that's what you have to put on, put on the scales to weigh whether or not it's worth bringing him in for all of the other bullshit. And we felt that this was worth the risk and, and felt that, you know, had good talks with Sid and this could be a good fit. We'll, we'll do good this time. Meltzer would report that Gary Plummer, the 49ers was uh, a guest on a radio show. And he said that Vince McMahon offered him $30,000 to wear a WWF hat 
and say he was going to WrestleMania on camera, but he turned it down. Although he didn't say why. And apparently Ken Norton jr. Accepted the deal. A uh, pretty big and easy payday to not do much of anything, but, uh, as a reminder, and I guess some of our listeners abroad may not be aware the super bowl is our single biggest thing that happens on television every year, as far as ratings and viewership. And in this era, uh, it was sort of in fashion to get a guy who just won the super bowl on the field to sort of promote your business. So he would say, I'm going to Disney world or I'm going to Disneyland, or he would take a bite of a big Mac on the sideline right after he won the super bowl or whatever. Do you remember Vince trying to make a play for this? And was that, um, a priority? Cause I mean, we know it wound up happening with Ken Norton, even though I never saw it, but the idea that he's actively shopping it with, with 49er players is fun to me. Well, yeah, we, we were in that mix as far as going out and, uh, being a part of the, I'm going to Disneyland, uh, or Disney world, whatever, whichever park it was, but we wanted people going to I'm going to WrestleMania. Right. And we were in that world. We were in that world, not just with the NFL, but, um, everybody from celebrities to that's kind of when we started that campaign of having celebrities and sports stars cut those for us. And we, we went to both teams saying, Hey, if you win the super bowl, here's what we'd like you to do. I like it. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the philosophy of promoting matches versus promoting the brand and the name WrestleMania. I know that may sound a little silly, but once upon a time fights were promoted, you know, Mayweather Mosley, you know, who one O has to go or whatever. And then the UFC, uh, started to change that a little bit. And then it's just, Oh, it's UFC two forty eight. insert, whatever match here. And somewhere along the way, that feels like that was a conscious effort by Vince McMahon as well, where you know, once upon a time, it was all about Hulk Hogan versus who at WrestleMania. And now here we're, we're saying a lot of just WrestleMania. Was that a conscious effort when Hulk was gone or did it, did it predate Hulk's departure? I think it even predated Hulk's departure because WrestleMania, the brand was, was starting to take over and we were looking at promoting, um, promoting the brand because your talent's going to change. Your talent is always going to rotate. They're always going to change while talent is extremely important and a big part of that. And what that storyline is, it's a part of WrestleMania. You, you still lead because people would would all know what WWE is and, and what WrestleMania is. It's a big deal. Um, then you go in to find out, Oh, well, who's going to be in WrestleMania this year. It's not, uh, so-and-so versus so-and-so, and and I wonder where that's going to be. Oh, it's going to be at WrestleMania. No, it's WrestleMania is, is the big daddy. And then what's that WrestleMania? It's, uh, it's interesting to see how the promotion sort of changed. We talked a little bit about the NFL. Well, let's talk about the NBA. A Meltzer word report. Diesel is participating in a celebrity slam dunk contest in conjunction with the NBA all-star game this week. And is also in an MTV softball game, judging from a lengthy interview at raw, where they called him Kevin Nash and tried to put him over as a real person, as opposed to a cartoon character, they looked to be committed to building the company around him. It was the same type of interview McMahon did with Hogan before his match with Sid justice. Uh, and again, when he came back 10 months later, after the steroid controversy, even the normally conservative Japanese mags are calling him a box office failure. So there's a lot to 
unpack here. One, the idea that you're sort of, I don't know, maybe for the first time, giving us a peek behind the curtain, like, you know, he's presented as diesel, but now we're also going to, in certain instances, be Kevin Nash. I don't remember that really being a thing prior to this. Am I wrong? I hated it. Absolutely hated it. And, um, a lot of that was Jim Ross's influence and that, you know, God damn it. Uh, 18 time all American play basketball at, uh, East central Georgia high. And, uh, I don't, is a wrestling fan. Okay. As sports entertainment, I want to be fucking entertained. I don't give a shit how long or how fast he runs the goddamn 20 yard dash. Don't give a fuck. He entertains me. The 20. I don't care. (laughs) The 20, the 30, the 80. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I love you. I don't give a fuck how far he throws a goddamn ball or how many fucking passes he caught or how many points he scored on the fuck. I don't care. I don't. (sighs) I don't. I give a fuck in how they are in, in the arena that I love. Sure. And can you entertain me? And can you fucking hook me? Diesel was over as a heel diesel, not Kevin Nash diesel. Diesel was the guy that people were cheering. So when we switched diesel, all of a sudden it became, well, goddamn, we got, we got to, uh, we got to change him now. No. Because they were cheering what we were doing as the bad guy diesel. They cheered what they cheered what the fuck we were doing like that. So just keep doing what you're doing and don't all of a sudden give him a goddamn name and talk about his fucking college basketball career that was, and I'm not saying, look, he had a college basketball career, fucking a hell of a lot more than I ever fucking had. But at the same time, I don't give a fuck because shooting three pointers in college doesn't mean fuck all in the WWE. So you attributed sort of the initiative to Jim Ross. Were you surprised that Vince went for it? I mean, yes, Vince is because we build fucking characters. And as soon as you made him human and as soon as you made him more relatable to me, actually less relatable to me. Because you made him a fucking, you know, I don't know. It, it sucked. It sucked. And to me, that was the day that Diesel died. We had him lead the fucking uh, office and Christmas carols and shit. I hated it. I'm sorry. I hated it. Did not care for it. And, and look, I've had some really bad ideas and some fucking, trust me, I, I've had some stinkers. Um, but that one was, I, I just, I fought that tooth and nail and, and lost and it was um not good no not good it's a weird thing to really look back at at diesel's run and realize that whereas so many fans say oh he's the worst drawing champion ever or whatever the rap is that they've been over the narrative that was pushed and while some of that may be factual at the time or may have been factual at the time how much of it was his fault versus how much of it was just presentation and you guys quit doing what you were known for. I mean, this is a guy who will not allegedly, I don't know this, but allegedly will not let you say hospital. You have to say a medical facility and it's not a belt. It's a championship and blah, blah, blah. 
And now all of a sudden he's going to pivot from superstar to Kevin Nash. Feels weird. Yeah, it did feel weird. Felt weird. It felt weird to everybody. And I think that it's, it's jarring to the audience to step out and go, well, you wouldn't have done it with Hulk. Hulk's Hulk. He's not Terry Bollea. I don't want to see Terry Bollea. I want to see fucking Hulk Hogan. That character, that character is larger than life. Diesel was larger than life. When he just became another guy, eh. Meltzer, uh, would get out here and report about some changes in WCW in mid-February. He says WCW is now taking the gamble of taking pay-per-view from being a quarterly special mega card to something akin to a bi-monthly special to basically being monthly major house shows with the decision to drop the June and November clash cards and replace them with pay-per-views. This will give WCW nine pay-per-views and two clashes in 95. Uh, the only one remaining being in August with a distinct possibility of dropping clashes altogether after the next one and either going to 10 or 11 pay-per-views in 96. I only mention this because we would see the first in your house pay-per-view after WrestleMania. Uh, is this chicken in the egg? Did you guys already have plans to do in your house before you knew the clash was going to become a pay-per-view? Uh, clearly at this point, it's a, it's a money grab since we do have passionate fans, but maybe there are less fans watching those who are still here. will spend a little more. So let's take our clashes that don't get a major return and sell pay-per-views and hope to sort of get in the black on that. And then you guys are following suit, or maybe you were leading the way within your house. Well, from our vantage point, I don't know what they were doing or why they were doing it, but from our vantage point, we were looking at in your house is a way to provide a monthly special and do a monthly pay-per-view. However, the initial thought was good God, we're doing, you know, it's funny to say this now, but we're doing so much programming to do another month, uh, or to to do another pay-per-view. God, is that too much to ask of your audience? That's where we came up with the, what if we did a shorter version and we do a more inexpensive price point. So that, that was the thinking behind it. And it was experimental. We didn't know if we were going to continue with it or not, but the idea of going every month was intriguing, but we didn't want to go big at that time every month. Let's keep it rolling and talk about the, uh, the in your house piece. The first one's going to be February 14th, Syracuse, New York. It's going to be a week before WCW runs slam in St. Petersburg. Uh, the pattern will continue as WCW runs the great American bash on the 18th and the WWF runs King of the ring the very next week. And then in WCW, we're going to see a pay-per-view in July on the 16th. The WWF is back one week later on the 23rd. So we're keeping nice separation here. All told the WWF adds four pay-per-view shows that they plan to have at one hour, 45 minutes in uh, runtime. They're going to price them at 1495. WCW is still going to be running shows at 2495 for pay-per-views where Hogan isn't on it. And when Hogan's on it, they're going to move it up to 2795. The big pay-per-views like SummerSlam for the WWF are at $29.95. Other shows like WrestleMania, well, only WrestleMania, that's $34.95. So there's lots of different price points here for you guys. $14.95 for an in-your-house, one-hour, 45-minute show. SummerSlam and the like, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, whatnot, $29.95. And then WrestleMania at $35. Uh, 
talk me through the pricing strategy. How did you guys arrive at these numbers? We know it's not going to last long. It won't be too long. And those in your house shows will be regular price. Well, we, we not just regular price, but they went back to the regular length of uh, three hours and two hours and 55 minutes. So it was just uh, the price point that we had. And that's where we came up with it. WrestleMania was a special event. WrestleMania was something that did command a higher price. It was a much bigger show. And so we, kept it at that price and at the time all the, the other whatever four or five would be 25 bucks and we had uh to make the in your houses different it was a shorter show it made those a little less expensive for everyone and it was also hoping that people may try the in your house at a lower price point and like that and then be able to you know go on and Go to the higher price point one. If they, it just, again, you 16 ounce Diet Coke versus a 32 ounce Diet Coke versus whatever. Hey, I got a question for you. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? What's the good news? Well, with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. You don't have to go broke to avoid going bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there. Some you may have tried before, but probably never for this price. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. And the sooner you start using keeps, the more of your hair you'll actually save. So act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with keeps treatments. Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. And thanks to keeps, you no longer have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now you can visit a doctor online and get your hair loss medication delivered to your home. No more waiting rooms, no more pharmacy checkout lines, and you get the doctor attention and discreet drug delivery all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Find out why keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors and nearly 100,000 men have trusted keeps to keep their hair loss prevention medication on track for a limited time. You can get your first month for free. That's a hell of a deal to keep your hair. I can't recommend this enough. We have had a lot of our listeners who have had great luck with this sponsor. Uh, I have been follically blessed, so I don't actually need keeps, but I have a great friend of mine who is having great success. He made me promise not to call them out. And my, uh, my only regret is that I didn't get this information to Casio kid sooner because he is a bald motherfucker now. Uh, it's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. And we're excited that you can take advantage and take action and prevent hair loss. Go to keeps.com slash wrestle and get your first month treatment for free. That's K E E P S.com slash wrestle. That's K E E P S.com slash wrestle keeps.com forward slash wrestle. And you get your first month treatment for free. Let's keep it going. Let's talk about Tammy Sitch, or I'm sorry, Tammy Fitch, as it's reported in the newsletter. Or Tamara Murphy has already been taken off the event center. She'll have a new role, apparently, as a cheerleader for Chris Candido, who debuts on television at this coming week's tapings. Candido is, of last word, still supposed to be a babyface. At some point, it's expected Fitch would turn, but that could be a year or more down the road. Of course, we know this is going to be sunny and skip the body Donnas won't be long, and your brother Zip will join them. Um, and I only bring this up because I don't know if you heard the good news, but Sonny's out, man. She's a free woman. How about that? Good for her. 
Um, coming into this, did you guys, and, and we've done a whole episode on Sonny available in the archives, but, uh, she did, put it. <laughs> I can't even follow up. I just got to keep going. Eddie Gilbert passed away on February 18th from a heart attack, just 33 years old. Uh, I'm sure you, you met Eddie a few times. Any good Eddie stories you can share with us? We haven't talked a lot about hot stuff here on the show. Wow. Um, I was good friends with Eddie, and I, and I loved Eddie. I got to work with Eddie in Mid-South UWF towards the end before I, I left and went to the WWE. I worked with Eddie in Global in Dallas, and I thought that Eddie was one of the most uh, creative minds I'd ever been around. I, I absolutely loved Eddie personally, and I loved working with him as well because he was very detail oriented and was always thinking the great thing about Eddie. He was always thinking about what to do with somebody else. He, he wasn't like, Hey, I've got this idea for me. Eddie always came to you with ideas for everybody else on the damn roster. And he would have months of program written out ahead of time and in his head of where he wanted to go. So in the, in that regard, I just, um, I adored him. I traveled with him and, uh, stayed at his home, shit like that. It's just, Eddie was, Eddie was a good guy and his passing hit me hard. And that, cause it was just so completely out of the blue. 33. I mean, 33. Holy cow. Yeah. And he was 33 and really coming into his own as one of the top guys that you wanted to come in and, and book for you. Uh, he was in Puerto Rico at the time when it happened and it's just really, really sad because he was a gifted, gifted, creative mind that was just gone way, way too soon, just way too soon. And we always used to sit up in Bixby, Oklahoma, which is where the mid South offices were, uh, right outside of Tulsa. And we stayed at what we called the two and a half seasons hotel was like a quality inn or something like that. It was a real shithole, but we would get, uh, get smoky, um, and eat a lot of pizza and we'd stay up all night. And in many ways, Eddie Gilbert helped me develop brother love because we all that there was to watch in Bixby, Oklahoma on Sunday nights was Oral Roberts, Robert Tilton, Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger. Uh, the list goes on and we would watch that shit for hours stoned out of our minds, eating pizza, coming up with shit for the interviews the next day. And out of that brother love was born from watching Robert Tilton. Good stuff. Let's talk about February 28th. The WrestleMania 11 press conference goes down at the Harley Davidson cafe in New York city. Uh, Diesel and Shawn Michaels were talking. And of course we see Bam Bam shove LT. Uh, what was the fascination in wrestling with the Harley Davidson cafe? Because this goes down on February 28th, but several months later in August, this is the same, uh, venue where Eric Bischoff would hold a press conference announcing nitro on TNT and bring Hulk Hogan and macho man and sting. It was centrally located times square in New York. And it was the new hip hip place, you know, like, uh, planet Hollywood and hard rock cafe. This was the Harley cafe was a new thing. And are, are they even in business anymore? No, I don't, 
yeah, I guess there's one in Vegas that I remember saying, but I've never been to one. Okay. But, um, it was, it was centrally located. You'd get every media outlet in the world right there. And all they had to do was take walk a couple blocks and they were there and it was a free lunch. Uh, Mel's word report. Shane Trust Do- me. That's the only reason most of those fuckers go to any of that shit is for the hors d'oeuvres. Meltzer word report. Shane Douglas got a tryout this week as a color commentator, and they wanted him for a top baby face spot down the road as well. As of yet, he hasn't accepted the deal. Of course, we know later in the year, he's going to come in as the heel Dean Douglas. Do you remember him having a commentary tryout? Yeah, we, we brought him in and tried him out there to see if he might be able to fill that color commentator role. Let me ask, and I'm not saying this to be funny. Is the role he was trying out for, does that ultimately wind up going to uh, Michael Hayes as Doc Hendricks? It went to Doc Hendricks. Okay. There we go. Well, he's going to debut right after WrestleMania. So, uh, and, and you can hear more about how that went down in the archives. We do have a Michael P.S. Hayes episode available for you. Speaking of auditions, Wade Keller would report that the ECW announcer, Joey Styles, was offered an audition with the WWF this last week and allegedly... He turned down the audition, citing loyalty towards and optimism regarding, uh, ACW's future in hindsight. Was that a good call? You think for Joey? Yeah. You tell me, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Hey, shout out to Joey. He's no longer doing anything in wrestling, but I know you're listening, Joey. We love and miss you. Get your ass back in wrestling. Hey, and I'm in Stanford. He's in Stanford. He doesn't call. He doesn't write nothing. Well, cause you work for the enemy now, right? You're in wrestling. What enemy? What, Just wrestling. Uh, what Just business wrestling. is he in? I mean, Jesus Christ. I'm not, he probably doesn't want us to say, but it has nothing to do with wrestling. And he says it's far in his rearview mirror. And I'm hoping it's a Terry Funk style retirement. And he'll be back. Uh, we we been, all come back. Yeah. I mean, look who we're talking to, right? That's my point. Yeah. We mentioned earlier how the seeds were planted at the Royal rumble for bam, bam and LT at WrestleMania. Well, in early March. Uh, at this press conference, we officially, we officially announce Lawrence Taylor's involvement at WrestleMania. And there is just, I mean, this is a PR home run, just an absolute bonanza of press coverage for the company, the likes of which the company hasn't probably gotten in a positive way in a long, long time. Um, what do you think of the way Vince handled this with all of the media? And uh, did you have any question as to whether or not LT was the right move? And, and did you feel differently once you saw how strong the media coverage was? Absolutely not. Because it was re everything that T did at that time was covered. So this, and there was so much speculation as to what he was going to do after football that we knew this was going to be covered big time. And after being around LT for a few days, I knew that he could do this and I knew that it was going to be big because he had the commitment to do it. He cared and he was willing to put the time and effort in to make this the best that it possibly could be. So when we had him committed and all in, I felt I did. I felt good about it. It was, um, LT was in that top echelon of talent. That the first time that he jumped into a ring, he felt at home and you can tell, you can tell just how people walk in the ring whether or not they're comfortable and LT was comfortable. Lots of speculation. Once this comes out about how much he's being paid a paper in New York says, you know, a half a million dollar fee. I think ESPN on sports center said it was a hundred thousand dollars. 
lots of folks are guessing that it's going to be 150 grand, which is more than uh, what refrigerator Perry received at WrestleMania two, which I believe was 135. There may have been a non-disclosure in place, but there's lots of rumor and innuendo around the payday. Do you have any sort of recollection of how this deal was structured or what the commitment was or any of those details? Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. So let's just talk through it. I know you're not going to give me the dollar amount, but it's over six figures. It's probably not a half a million. It's probably more than refrigerator Perry. Is it just, we're going to work the one match and we need you to do X number of appearances on raw and X number of, you know, media, uh, appearances or how, what's the deal structure look like as far as the execution? Yeah. Originally the deal structure was that he would do the press conference. He would do the appearance. It's at Royal rumble. He would do the press conference and then, uh, one or two other dates in the match. And then once we got into it after the first press conference and we also got around him for the training sessions, we were like, no, we, we, we need to have him full time. And we restructured the deal to just take over everything for the next couple of months. And we used him for television. We used him for training and we had a lot of, uh, a lot of access to him that was completely different from the original deal that was pitched and LT was all in man. And he, he did it. He was, he was there to work out, worked his ass off. And I thought he, he, I thought he deserved everything he got. Yeah. Meltzer even says, given the publicity, it's already been a bargain for the WWF. He would also say that Titan had, uh, recruited six other football players, Reggie white, Ricky Jackson, Ken Norton, Jr. Steve Mongo, McMichael, Carl Banks, and Chris Stapleton. They're all going to be in Taylor's corner. Uh, Meltzer would say it's a clear case of overkill, but I do think that it's probably smart from a promotional piece to, you can get some of these super fans in these different markets to check it out. Um, Meltzer, maybe he's guessing here, but he says Norton's price tag is rumored to be $30,000. That seems like a lot to stand in the corner you think it was overkill at that rate? Well, again, you're, you are taking into consideration that Meltzer is accurate. I, I don't necessarily mean, yeah, he's, he's not accurate. He's, he's way out of the ballpark and it, it wasn't even near that. And a lot of these guys came to us that wanted to be a part of it. Like Chris Spielman, great fucking guy. Uh, Ken Norton Jr. was another one that were, these were guys that were friends of LTs, but it was also, you know, guys that were out there that had a name that we were kind of looking at going, Hmm, could, could any of these guys take the next step in, into the ring? And we reached out. These were the ones that responded and we might've had a few others in mind, but we got, you know, we got who we got in every single one of them. I mean, good God, Reggie white to come out and, and do this with us. He was, they were all great. That, that was the fun thing about it. These were all huge athletes that wanted to participate, that wanted to get into it. I remember when we did the deal in, I think, uh, one San Jose might've been Fresno, something like that, where Steve McMichael and comma locked up. And Steve McMichael took comma down and we all looked and went, holy shit, that was a thud. That was a money thud because you felt it. It was real. These guys are going at it and 
they they didn't disappoint. So they were easy to work with, and they wanted to be there. They wanted to be a part of it. Let's talk about so two names. It was name. a bargain. Let's talk about two names in particular. Uh, you know where I'm going with this. Reggie White is going to wind up doing some work with WCW, even having some matches. And later this same year, Steve Mongo McMichael is going to go on to be at that Harley Davidson press conference announcing nitro. He's actually going to be a part of the broadcast crew. Just a few months after this, was there no interest on the McMahon side in trying to do something more with, with Reggie and Steve? We were interested in Steve and I think Steve kind of used, it was us against them type thing. Um, but we didn't have, we didn't have the kind of money that Steve was looking for. We weren't going to pay him that to train and do that. We WCW used him in another role in the commentator role. And then they used him to actually go out and work. Um, but th- those were, those were two we lost, but there was definitely interest. Why LT talk to me about how LT was the guy, how the deal was put together, uh, who reached out to who the whole deal. LT was the, at that time in the New York market, because of his retirement was the biggest name and probably had the most buzz of anybody in the, in the football field. And he was a media darling. So it was, he was available and he was a fan. He enjoyed, he enjoyed the business so it's just all the sun and stars and moon, everything lined up to where finally it happened. And, and we were able to come to an agreement with LT and get him to be a part of WrestleMania. The fact that we could actually have him participate in a match and looked at Bam Bam as someone is a big, nasty heel that you don't have to do a whole lot with the media there because Bam Bam looked like a heel. Right. He's had a ball hit flame tattooed head. He looked like a big, mean, nasty guy that would give LT a fight. Right. So it was the perfect storm in many ways. And coming off of everything that LT had done in the New York market, New York was always viewed as the center of the universe. You went from there and we, uh, we just hit the gas once we got him. All right. Let's unpack there based on what you said. Let's start with bam, bam. You know, you said you can just, you don't have to work with the media. You can just tell he's a heel. I mean, he's a big gnarly looking dude and he's got tattoos on his head. Was anybody else considered as far as the match goes? I know that sounds silly, but from a match standpoint, maybe it would have been easier to have LT work with a guy who could have just flown around and bumped for him a little more. A guy like a Mr. Perfect or Shawn Michaels and really made him look like a million bucks. Or did you think you needed size and and a menacing look more so than the big match? Well, I think that the Bam Bam, the position that he was in at the time, Bam Bam could do all those things and he had the right look as well. So we weren't look, we weren't looking for a fucking eight star match in the goddamn Tokyo Dome. No, I'm aware. I'm We're aware. looking for for LT to come in, have a good time, and be able to provide publicity for everything else that's on the show. Not embarrass himself while he's out there, and get exposure for the guy that we're we're looking to move up, which was Bam Bam. So it, it just yeah, you could have put anybody else in there. I don't know that it would have been as good. 
Well, it's fascinating that you say you don't know that it would have been as good. You know, if you're really trying to, I guess let's just play devil's advocate for a minute. If you're really trying to build around diesel, would a diesel LT thing not have worked? God, no. Why not? Well, because I don't think that diesel would have been able to carry LT to the kind of match that Bam Bam was. You know, you got to remember Kevin was still green at this point. Hang on though. Kevin was still ago, said, We're not trying to have fucking eight star matches in the Tokyo. I, I understand that, but why, you don't want to embarrass LT and you don't want to embarrass diesel, your champion. Now maybe is a tag team partner of diesel could have done something like that. We discussed it, but the feeling was bam, bam, one-on-one what's what's bigger. And the argument way was to put LT in a feature matchup where he is the feature and he is the star. I know this sounds silly, but just help me out. Cause I just had a recent conversation with, uh, with Jim Ross about this. Do you think there will ever be a tag match in the main event spot at WrestleMania? Sure. But doesn't it feel like Vince has always shot away from that? And we've had plenty of opportunities to do something like that. And it hasn't happened. So it does make me wonder if, if you would have used LT in a tag spot, it probably wouldn't have went on last. It feels like Vince wants a singles match last. No, it's got to be the right attraction. If it were the right attraction, it would work. It's not, oh, I've got to have a singles match. You have a great tag team match. That's a great attraction that people are going to pay money to see. Then that's what you do. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying a few years ago when they had Ronda Rousey in a tag with, uh, um, Kurt angle, it didn't go on last. That's the only reason I asked, but let's I don't think that was worthy of going on last, but LT was in your opinion. LT was a bigger star in 95 than Ronda Rousey was a few years ago. In the New York market. Yes. Well, but so you to, just, to, to hang on to, to the general public. Yes. Definitely. No way. No way. Yep. Now okay. you keep saying in the New York market and I get that, but you're not, just no, doing... I'm saying to the general public, I think that more people knew who Lawrence Taylor was then. also too, Lawrence Taylor was a fucking heel to the rest of the world. Goddamn right. He was. So now we're going to make him a baby face, which just feels a little fish out of the water to me. Why people loved him. Well, but he had a reputation for being uh, a drug user and crazy. That was after that was after. Okay. We'll, we'll keep it going. But the point is he had a reputation as a, a heel. I mean, he's a badass defensive lineman. Who's destroying quarterbacks nation fucking wide. One team is going to like him and everyone else is going to hate him. They all respected him. <laughs> I'm just saying if Tom Brady comes into the WWE, the motherfucker is not everybody's going to boo him. Yes. Who the fuck cares about Tom Brady? Oh, Jesus Christ. Was there any other athlete discussed for the spot that LT wound up with, or was what's the, what's the backup plan? If LT says, no, we can't put a deal together. What would it have been on top here at WrestleMania? Well, you got Sean and diesel. That's what I thought. And, and I wanted to know like how much of, and again, I'm just reaching how much of Sean's attitude. Cause we've heard that he, he could be a, a bear to deal with at times. How much of that was. Things like this. He wins the Royal rumble. He's been having great matches for years. He feels like this is supposed to be his world title shot. He's supposed to be on top. Typically, not typically, but a lot of times the world title has changed hands at a WrestleMania. Uh, I mean, you, you see what happened at 10, you saw what happened at nine, 
You saw what happened at eight. You saw what happened at seven. You saw what happened at six. You saw what happened at five. You saw what happened at four. You go all the way back to three before it stays on Hogan. But every show since there's been a world title switch that doesn't happen here. And Sean, after, you know, fighting with his buddy to get to this spot as part of the click. And now they're finally there and they've wanted to be here. Still not going on last. Do you think that, you know, really had Sean having his ass on his shoulders even more than normal? I'm sure that he probably would have liked to have got on last, but at the same time, he takes that opportunity and says, oh yeah, here, follow this. Yeah. And that's the attitude that he had. Let's, uh, let's circle back. We'll talk about some more of the main events soon enough. Uh, Meltzer would write latest on Jesse Ventura is that Ventura has filed an additional suit against Titan for another 254,000 asking for interest on his original reward. Uh, so needless to say, he's not coming in John Minton who wrestled in the company is big. John stud passed away on March 20, 20th, uh, from cancer. He's only 46 years old. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about big John stud. 46 is so damn young. Any good big John stud memories? You know, I knew John when he came into Texas, into the Dallas territory as just big John, uh, Gary Hart, Paul Bosch actually put him in a mask, called him, uh, captain America, but it was, I, I, I remember John used to, used to come in and he would fly his fiance at the time. Uh, into Houston. We always used to give give them a ride and get them to wherever they needed to go, but we became friendly with him way back when. And his stud went on to bigger and better things. He was always pretty much the same John Stud, and he was a wonderful guy. And I've got to know his son, Sean, who's trying to go in his father's footsteps and enter the wrestling business. But, uh, John was a big bastard, kind of easygoing guy, but, uh, he had a hell of a run, man. He had a hell of a run for a long time there. No doubt about it. Uh, still a legend. You know, you think about on the iconic shots of him and Andre good stuff a week or so before WrestleMania here, uh, former Quebecer Pierre debuted on TV and over the weekend doing his pirate gimmick using the name Jean Pierre Ouellette. And uh, a promo aired with him going over his family history and claiming that he beats all the superstars in the WWF and he will write his own book. Um, talk about the pirate gimmick here. What about it? It was a great fucking gimmick. He steals jackets. Ben Porea. By the way, friend of the show, Mance Warner sent me a text after he heard you defend the, uh, if you stole my jacket, it'd be on. And he's with you, by the way. He says, if you stole one of his satin Mance Warner jackets, uh, somebody's catching an ass beating. Shit's on. Yes. Keller would report that Chad fortune and Eric Watts were offered contracts by the WWF in the prior week to form a tag team. Of course, that tag team we know would become techno team 2000. Eric Watts getting a shot in the company. Did somebody owe somebody a favor here? You know, Eric was one of those guys that you looked at and you just, there were dollar signs there. I mean, he had a great look, had great size, amazing athlete. But then there was, I don't know if it was his personality, his attitude. Um, 
maybe the next gear. I don't know what it was that, that held Eric back because you would think if you were just, you were going to build a wrestler and you were going to build a prototype that he could fit that mold. And Eric has a hell of a personality outside of the ring. Right. But it's just never translated audience wise. And I don't know if that was just because from so early on in his career that he was, you know, Bill Watts kid and he was labeled with that stigma that some people were like, fuck him. He's Bill Watts kid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't, he just never was able to click no matter where he went or what he did. What's your favorite techno team match? Definitely that one. Remember with the referee, oh, yeah, with the that, referee in it, they had the one guy, right? Yeah. And they right. did, and they did the thing over the deal Oh, with the other one. Yeah. And then at yeah. the, and at the end it was like a fucker right. deal the, schmoz deal. Yeah. Yeah. And the referee was there and he moved around the ring and oh, he yeah, broke him up right. on the ropes that time with the Fernum Snavitz. Yes. Yes. See, same uh, one, huh? I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Look it up. It's on the WWE network under Fernum Schnavitz. Uh, Meltzer would also report that Ed Cohen offered Jim Hurd a job as a local promoter, but Jim Hurd declined the offer. I had to fucking read this sentence three times because it felt like it was bullshit. This is the funniest shit ever. Uh, and I, I love it. Do you remember? I mean, I assume he's talking about in St. Louis where maybe Jim Hurd you know, had some roots and ties with, with, with television stations, of course, but, uh, Jim Hurd as a local promoter for the company, what could have been, huh? Well, if Dave Meltzer says it, then it must be true. Oh, so you call bullshit. You don't think such a thing happened? I have no idea. Well, let's just pretend for a minute. What could have been? That's what, that's what this company needed. Business is down. God damn it. Let's get Jim Hurd in here. Uh, the WWF mania show on March 25th would be the first to acknowledge the arrest of Brian Adams. Who's going by crush here. Pettengill would say as a result of the arrest, and they even acknowledge his real name on charges relating to, uh, controlled substances and weapons violations. Quote, the WWF has sent notification. He's been terminated. So a, a rather public firing here for crush on mania. This feels like. Um, something different for the company that I don't think you guys had ever done before. Is this because Vince is trying to sort of set an example or, or why do you think he did it this way? Well, I think because it was, again, it was, it was not a good look. It wasn't a good look for Brian. It wasn't a good look for the company and the fact that he had been arrested and done that, that we needed to separate ourselves from him and that's clause in the contract. So um, at that time, that's what you had to do. You had to separate yourself from it. No doubt about it. It's a weird time. The company would air a two hour special on the USA network on Sunday night, March 26th. Of course, this is the road to WrestleMania. They've got pre-tape matches of Lex Luger beating Tataka, Bam Bam Bigelow pinning Sion and, uh, Bob Backlund beating Jeff Jarrett by DQ and Razor Ramon interferes. Talk to me a little bit about the road to WrestleMania. This isn't something that. It's common these days, but all of a sudden this year, there's a series of, uh, old WrestleManias airing on ESPN, including this weekend, check your local listings. Um, but here we're, we're focused on the current, uh, WrestleMania at hand, trying to drive buys. And it's a two hour show. This is a pretty cool way to sort of have a, a pre-show before a pre-show. Absolutely. And you, it was, 
on cable, USA Network, so that you could then drive people, bam, here, WrestleMania is coming up right now, next, and drive them to the event, drive them to go by right now. So we did that with USA each year, and it worked out pretty good. I think this is the WrestleMania where you guys do a, a three-day fan fest style event, and I think this is the first time that it happens at a WrestleMania, sort of the precursor for access. What do you remember about the promotion, how it came to be and, uh, what all was involved with this? We were at the Hartford convention center downtown and adjacent to it, you know, adjacent to the building itself was the convention center. So we had the space and it was all connected. So you could kind of set up shop in the arena. And then there was a tunnel that took you over to the convention center. It was, Bob Collins and I had kind of dreamed of this, this crazy interaction thing based off of the NBA fan experience and that he had gone to this and how the NBA stars were very interactive with the fans and all the different things that was available. They had a NBA court set up. We set up a wrestling ring and we, we took a lot of, we took a lot of what they did and implemented that to try and get as interactive of an experience that you could, that you couldn't get anywhere else. So uh, a lot of autograph signings, a lot of access to talent. Uh, I think we had a doink uh, dunk booth and, and shit like that. But it was it was fun. It was just meant to be a fun deal so that people coming in from New York could have something to do people coming in from Boston and give them more to do than just the live event itself. Well, it clearly worked. I mean, you guys were off and running with, uh, with access and it became a much, much bigger deal as time went on. Of course, uh, tickets are down from, uh, I guess this is the second year you did this. Now that I think about it. Yeah, we did the first, the first year was in Madison square garden, right? So the prior year, because it's MSG charging 22 bucks here, it's $15. Um, we should mention WrestleMania 11 is uh, a, a nice little footnote about what would be, um, Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch are here waiting for their opportunity to start. And Paul Levesque waiting for his WCW release to start. Do you remember running into triple H at WrestleMania 11? Yeah, he was there. He was definitely there and it was, it was local and he was going to be starting soon. So yeah, definitely. If you're like most Americans, you carry a balance on your credit cards and all of those cards come with high interest rates. And that's why you need my friends at Lightstream. It's so easy to lower your interest rate and save with a Lightstream credit card consolidation loan. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. And Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. You can get a loan from five to a hundred thousand dollars and there are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you pay. So apply today and get a special interest rate discount and save even more. And the only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com forward slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com slash wrestle. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. But I can't recommend these guys enough. I use lightstream.com years ago. I was able to get the best loan I ever had. They overnighted me a check. It was fast. It was easy. And the cheapest rate I ever got to this day, 
Find out for yourself right now. Go to lightstream.com forward slash wrestle. You definitely get a ton of media attention here. I mean, one of the most notable things that, uh, I recall are Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow being booked on the Howard Stern show. I think that not only made radio, but the E cable network as well. And, uh, Bigelow would insist that nobody's going to tell him to lose the match. And that comes up because Sterner Stern has, has in this era been, uh, I don't know, a hater. He, he was not an advocate of the wrestling program and he is bought, he sold, or he's at least playing ball and says, Hey, I love it. I'm going to order the pay-per-view. What do you remember about working with Stern in this era? Of course, this is way before satellite. Uh, he is the number one syndicated at the time, probably him and Rush Limbaugh running neck and neck, but, uh, he's a shock jock and really the first one that, that the nation's familiar with. You know, it was tough to get on Stern because he held himself in very high regard. <laughs> Just ask him and you know, getting on there, that was a big deal. And LT is the one that opened that door for us. So to be able to get in and he gave us great plug, he went along with everything and was easy. But I think that by doing this one time helped us establish a relationship with Stern for the future. Uh, let's talk about something else. You set up pretty cool. Uh, also in New York times square Tuesday, March 28th, it's a public workout. We get the allied powers getting a win over Tony DeVito and Mike bell. You probably recognize both of those names. Shout out to Tony, who I know still listens. Owen Hart gets a win over Nick Barbary in two minutes and 19 seconds. Jeff Jarrett and Tony Roy go to a no contest in three minutes and 19 seconds. And then the big in-ring confrontation between Bam Bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor. Bigelow is going to extend his hand for LT after much prodding. Of course, LT pulls his hand back. Bigelow attacks him. There's a pull apart. Lex Luger, British Bulldog and Diesel make the save. So a really cool little moment here. That sort of reminds you of what we would see years later with Mike Tyson and Stone Cold Steve Austin and DX, a uh, ton of celebrities here. Talk to me about how this public workout came to be. This is a big deal. Oh, fucking huge. Imagine for those of you that have ever been to Times Square in New York, where the tickets like that little Island in the middle of Times Square, and they've got the Broadway tickets and all that. We closed all that down we set up a ring we used the bleachers that were already there for people to go and sit to be able to watch it we had buses that were parked across the street in front of uh i guess the hard rock or all-star cafe whatever the hell was there at the time and we staged everything. We had the dressing rooms on the buses and shit like that too. Got to have a heel baby face. God damn. Uh, can't have them in the same bus at the same time. That, that would just be sacrilege. So we had those set up and we just went out and the whole idea behind it was to get that confrontation between LT and Bam Bam. So we had a few warm up matches and shit and then just filled the ring with bodies and got to our confrontation, and it was just so fucking cool because you think about it, noon, Times Square, Manhattan, shut down. Crazy. For the, for the WWE to have this this stunt. How much could what that have cost? That had to cost an arm and a leg. Um, depends on who you know. Okay. That's all we need to know. Let's keep it rolling. Let's talk about the show. We've already briefly mentioned 
the, uh, the open to the show that it's going to highlight sort of all the past WrestleManias, but it focuses on the celebrities rather than the, the talent or the main events. Mr. T of course, conspicuous by his absence. We know why he showed up on the WCW program. Um, but something else is different here. America, the beautiful is usually sang by a celebrity. You remember Gladys Knight and, and all the big celebrities who've, who've done it over the years, Aretha Franklin, uh, Willie Nelson, so many big celebrities here. We have special Olympian, Kathy Huey seeing America, the beautiful, which I thought was a cool little touch. It sort of caught me off guard. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I didn't remember who sang it here. I did remember salt and pepper, but I knew that was the main event. So I didn't know what they did. And I saw it this time and it just stood out, but I found in my notes that the band fishbone was supposed to perform the anthem, but no showed the event. What do you remember about the band and, and how did we land on Kathy Huey, the special Olympian here? Well, we're heavily involved in the special Olympia, uh, special Olympics, uh, then and now it's always been something that's been very near to Vince and Linda. So they've always been a part of it. And they're in Hartford where we've had the special Olympics. It's, it's their home and it was an easy, that one was an easy call. Um, as far as fishbone, I'd forgotten all about that. I don't know. Don't care. No one had ever heard of them, but anyway, so it's, it's probably one of those deals where, oh my God, I know this, this act fishbone. And this was also during the time we had Pam Anderson involved. We had Jonathan Taylor, Thomas, uh, Nicholas Totoro, but this was also kind of during the time that Vince was trying to shy away a little bit from the celebrity usage in WrestleMania. Oh, fuck off with that. This thing's loaded with special celebrities. No, I, we did. We had them, but it was all about LT who was a major part of the event. Of course, you know, in the match. And, and yes, we did. I just said we had him. We had Jonathan Taylor and all those guys. Um, but it was, this was the, where we started. You know what? Maybe we don't need as many, or we don't need to do it as much. The celebrities, of course, are Pam Anderson of Baywatch, and you cannot, we cannot properly convey how big that show was. It's the biggest show in the world. Uh, it's one thing to be the biggest show in America. This is the biggest worldwide show, uh, syndicated all over the freaking planet in all these languages. And Pam Anderson running slow motion in a red bathing suit, uh, got a lot of eyeballs in the day. Jenny McCarthy is an MTV superstar who's going to go on to be a big, big star on her own after this. Uh, she's also involved. Of course, Pam's going to come to the ring with diesel. Jenny's going to come to the ring with Shawn Michaels. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is on the number one sitcom home improvement. And Nicholas Turturro is on the number one and most controversial show on TV NYPD blue. Uh, it was a big deal back then. I'll never forget when they showed a guy's butt cheeks on NYPD blue. It was like this big scandal fast forward a few years, man. You guys are showing butt cheeks left and right on raw. We are. Oh yeah. Come on. I saw so many butt cheeks on raw. Let's talk about, let's talk about some cheeks. We didn't see on the show here. Alundra blaze, according to the rumor and innuendo supposed to be wrestling bull Nakano for the women's title at WrestleMania. It doesn't happen. Uh, it did happen the next night on raw. Was it originally supposed to be on WrestleMania and you were short on time? Why did it get bumped? And, And if so, why probably got bumped due to time. If that's what was scheduled and I can't really, I don't really remember, but 
probably it was due to time more than anything. Yeah. I, I know that I know that Alunder was there and I know Bull was there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's keep it rolling. Let's talk about our first match. Davy Boy and Lex Luger taking on the Blue Brothers. Of course, we know these guys as the Harris twins. I actually didn't hate the presentation of them here as the Blue Brothers. They only get six minutes and 34 seconds. Meltzer would call it a routine opener, and he said that uh, Davy Boy looked absolutely huge here. Uh, he would say the match was clumsy in spots and gives it half a star. Of course, Davy Boy and Lex Luger pick up the win. What'd you think? Well, first of all, you got two big bastards in there in the Harris brothers. Okay. And when you look at this match on paper, I was dreading it. I'm thinking, oh my God, this can be horrible. It wasn't bad. No, because they, they fucking, again, you utilize Davey and what Davey could do. You underplayed Lex and the big nasty heels looked like big nasty heels and got slayed. It was a perfect opener to go out and just kind of set the stage for the rest of the night. It wasn't offensive by any stretch of the imagination. And I was afraid to watch it. <laughs> we should mention uh, Lex Luger's coming off of one of the biggest pushes in company history. Of course, he comes into the company as the narcissist. Not too terribly long after that, we switch him. He's no longer a heel. Now he's the all American babyface. He goes for the big body slam. Uh, on the intrepid on Yokozuna and we're just off to the races for whatever reason, it doesn't work. It's not the hit that they were expecting. And these guys start teaming together bulldog and Lex Luger on the January 2nd raw, where they would pick up a win over bam, bam and Tatanka. They're not called the allied powers until a few months later, but this does feel like two guys who could have been maybe at different times world champs, but for whatever reason. Uh, Vince didn't have the confidence in them, so he throws them together and puts them in a tag team. Of course, Bulldogs already proven himself in a in a major tag team, the British Bulldogs. But Lex Luger has always been sort of positioned as a singles guy. Why did you think this was the right combination? Because for each guy, the singles run wasn't working for whatever reason, and they liked each other. They trained together, and they were a team basically out of the ring. So let's put them together and let's see what we can do with it. Maybe combined, they may be better than they are individually. And that was the whole thinking behind it because we, there's definitely something with each guy without a doubt, but they just weren't good individually. And the first of several glitches, the lights go out as JR is trying to interview Zebediah after the match. This is an interesting thing. I guess we should mention commentary on this show is Jerry, the King Lawler and Vince McMahon. You've got one of the greatest announcers of all time there and Jim Ross, but he's not on play by play. He's not on color. He's interviewing guys in the aisle way on the way back to the locker room after the match. That's way different than what we're used to seeing. I don't think we've seen that much before or since. Why were you guys trying something new and, and why was Jim not on the call? Because Vince was on the call. And Vince was the recognizable play-by-play guy for us. And, and it, it wasn't Jim at that time. And we were trying to do something different. And that's exactly it. We wanted to have people inside that arena. It was a full arena. And just get that excitement and do something unique and different. We had you know, vignettes in the back that we were going to go to. But we wanted to keep as much action and that electricity in the arena as much as we could. 
Here's my question though. I mean, you're acting as if it's either or JR and, and Vince work together a lot. Yeah. So why not? If you've got one of the aces, because well, again, because the team was, it was decided to be Vincent King. I mean, it's, it's that simple. No, it's, I'm, I'm then JR is going to be, you'd be given the same JR lovers would be given the same shit. If JR was there in the third wheel. And if he was the analyst on that, no, to be clear, that wouldn't no, have been a good either. I'm not, I'm not fussing. I'm just wanting to know why You're fussing. Okay. Uh, well, it's also worth mentioning Lawler has, this is the first time we've seen him since he had the scandal, um, uh, a few months back. And now he's back here in the spot. It just, to me, sticks out a little bit that you've got one of the best not doing it. And instead he's doing something we've never really seen before. It, ma- it makes me wonder why them, but either way, uh, they try to cut to, uh, the, the promo, the lights go out and when they realize, Hey, this is fucked. They cut backstage to an interview with Pamela Anderson, Nick Turturro's there and he's trying to say something, but the sound keeps going out. So that doesn't work either. And all I could think watching this back was Vince McMahon, who's on the call and probably can't react, has to be having a fucking conniption that he can't really express when all of these glitches are happening. That's the best kind. The next up is uh, the Intercontinental title. It's Jeff Jarrett defending against Razor Ramon. As a reminder, Jeff beat Razor for the title at Royal Rumble. This is Razor's second WrestleMania show challenging for the IC title. Of course, the prior year. Uh, he broke the mold against Shawn Michaels in the famous ladder match here. These guys get plenty of time, 13 minutes and 32 seconds before we actually, um, I guess we should mention Jeff Jarrett comes out first, lots of pomp and circumstance. Uh, the crazy look that he was rocking at the time. He's your intercontinental champ. Razor Ramon is backstage and one, two, three kid cuts a promo. The audio is not really working too well for that. You can tell Waltman's very, very nervous. He's wearing a, like a karate outfit. And then we get out to the ring and these guys tear it up. They had a really good match, two and three quarter stars in the end. It comes down to a DQ. So razor picks up the win, but Jarrett keeps the IC because of the DQ and, uh, kid does one of those, uh, spin kicks and nails Jeff Jarrett legitimately and bloodies him up. Nice little finish to the match. You can tell that Waltman is just, uh, on fire when he jumps in the ring. He is a ball of energy. I hadn't seen this match before, uh, until this week. I don't know how I'd missed it on this card. I guess I'd always fast forward or skipped around, but I really dug this one. And I thought razor and Jarrett meshed well. They did. And it was one of those programs that I think a lot of times gets overlooked, but Jeff and razor had chemistry. They worked really well together and it was a good story all the way through. But people always, they, they forget about it when they're going through, they go back to Sean and Razor, they go back to, you know, Diesel and Sean and, and different things. And Jeff gets gets left out of the mix. But I think that this was the precursor. Um, just to take everything to the next level. I thought that it was damn good. I thought it was really good for these guys. Let's talk about what happens afterwards. We cut backstage to try to get this Pamela interview, but this time Taturo says she's vanished and nobody knows what happened to her. And then Sean and Sid show up. Sean implies he knows where Anderson was. And Sid says diesel's afraid of him. Taturo vows to get to the bottom of things up next. One of your favorites undertaker <laughs> King Kong Bundy. <laughs> the feud started at the Royal rumble after undertaker beat oh, RS. Shit. 
Bundy's going to come out and beat up the undertaker. And here are the seeds for this match, which Meltzer would say this was a poor match, but there was enough going outside the ring to save it. Undertaker's music got a big pop American league umpire. Larry young was the special guest referee. Uh, ultimately DiBiase calls for comma and, uh, comma comes out. He kicks Paul bear, gets the urn back. Bundy dominates undertaker in a slow motion match until undertaker doesn't sell a splash into the corner and then scores the pin with a clothesline comma leaves with the urn. And then in a promo with Jr. in the aisle vows to melt it down into a medallion and wear it around his neck. So we were pivoting from a feud with King Kong Bundy to now a feud with comma over this giant urn. Ah, King Kong Bundy undertaker and American league umpire, Larry young, which I guess is kind of cool. I guess he's a longtime pro wrestling fan and Wait a minute, that's kind of cool. Well, I think baseball's no looking- one other than JJ fucking Dylan knew who he was. Okay. I'm just saying this is in the middle of the strike, right? Okay. Really? You watch this and went, oh, hey, look, it's American League umpire, Larry Young. Wow. They got him? No, nobody thought that. I just think it's cool that you've got a real baseball umpire as a special guest referee. I mean, you're trying to grab whatever publicity you can, and maybe some baseball trade somewhere is going to plug it. I mean, listen, I'm not the one who fucking booked it. So if you're going to give me shit about it, maybe you should take one of those fingers you're wagging back at me and look at them little skinny bastards poking back at yourself. No, I'm wagging it at fucking JJ Dillon. <laughs> well, listen, who booked the goddamn King Kong Bundy match? Motherfucker. Was that okay? JJ Dillon? Okay. Okay. So that's my fault, but still, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put a goddamn baseball umpire You're in right. the fucking thing. You know what? When I watch this back, and I, I encourage everybody to go watch it back, it's only six minutes and 36 seconds. It's and you really long, ask yourself. long six minutes and 30 seconds. Wouldn't this have been a much better match if Earl Hebner was in there? That's what made this match shitty. It's not King Kong Bundy. It was the goddamn referee. Nah, it was all the above. It was the drizzling shits. And... And, you know, Undertaker, man, is probably one of the most even keel human beings I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And pretty accommodating. But. Huh? But. I hear a butt hanging. Oh, there's a butt. But. (laughs) He's working with King Kong Bundy. Yep. At WrestleMania. Yep. I'm not sure he was really thrilled about that. And then the match that we put the fucking umpire in for because of the strike. I don't even remember. I hate baseball. Baseball's fake. But, you know, I hate baseball. Why are you so fired up? It's a goddamn game. Just you fucking throw a ball, you hit the end of the base. I get a lot of hate tweets. Hey, hey, it's Conrad. Um, don't send them shits to me. Send them to at Bruce Pritchard. Ah, and, um, so the, the, up wants to call spots. Huh? He wants to do an umpire bump with undertaker. Oh, I got you. And takers like, yeah, no. He's like, oh, no, no, this will be good. That's my gimmick. That's what I do. It's like, bro, 
You're a fucking baseball umpire. You ain't got a gimmick. Or for whatever reason, someone convinced someone to put you on this fucking card for a payday, and somehow you landed in this match. But you have no fucking story. You have no fucking gimmick. And if you chest bump the Undertaker, he's going to kill you. And all the restraint. And I think he did try to do it. And Taker was like, you know, but, oh, it's brutal. It's fucking brutal. Let's talk and, about King Kong Bundy. This is his first WrestleMania since WrestleMania three in 1987. His uh, all-time pay-per-view record is two and four. He was one and three at WrestleMania one and oh, at survivor series. Oh, and one at the Royal rumble. He's going to stay in the WWF and on TV until the end of 95, but he doesn't appear on another pay-per-view for the WWF. Why do you think that is? Cause he was stealing every time he cashed a check, Conrad. I knew you were going to say that. Big cat on the lab. Chris Bundy. You're stealing every time you cash a man's check. You thief. Um, when we brought Bundy back, I think we really expected something else. We expected the King Kong Bundy that used to move and really get around the ring and was vicious and had that second gear and shit. Instead, we just, Chris was not motivated. He didn't care. And it showed, it just showed his work. I mean, Bundy was there for a payday and that was about it. Let's talk about Razor Ramon. There's a rumor around this time that Razor Ramon was uh, supposed to turn heel and wrestle the undertaker here instead. Was that ever considered for WrestleMania 11? Because that had to have been a better match. No. Uh, Satura would then report that Anderson had an argument with Michaels and walked out and hasn't been seen since. And then a lot of the football players are doing an interview challenging Ted DiBiase's wrestlers. Satura continues to look for Anderson and then encounters Bob Backlund playing chess with Jonathan Taylor Thomas or JTT as you call him. Oh boy. And then uh, Backlund got upset that Satura interrupted the chess game and got furious when Thomas checkmated him. And then Backlund does a tirade about how. Uh, kids today think they know everything. Have fun with this. Oh boy. So I'm producing this shit, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to get through it. And I'm referring to, I was also doing, uh, we had one, two, three kid involved in, in something. And I, I kept referring to the kid and then we'll have the kid, uh, do some, and Jonathan Taylor, Thomas's mother pulls me off to the side. I'm like, excuse me, can I speak to you for a minute? And I'm like, yes, it's just, I really don't like the way that you are uh, constantly referring to him as the kid. He has a name. I said, I beg your pardon. She goes, well, you keep talking about the kid will do this and the kid will do that. And then the kid comes in. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm talking about the one, two, three kid. We call him the kid. And she just looks at me and I'm just looking at her. I went, did you think I was referring to Jonathan? He goes, well, yes. Uh, and she, but she just was, cause I had no idea what she was talking about at first. Cause they, they were sitting in there and I was doing something with kid. I was like, all right. And then kid comes in and she thought I was talking about Jonathan Taylor Thomas and was going to give me a piece of her mind. Cause he has a name by God. 
Next up, we get Owen Hart and Yokozuna. They're going to be working with the smoking guns. Uh, Yokozuna is, uh, a, a bit of a surprise. I think it was supposed to be a mystery opponent before we actually, uh, we're told who the, who the mystery partner is going to be, but before we get to the match, the smoking guns are doing a promo backstage and I feel so bad watching this back this week for Bart Gunn. It has to be perhaps one of, if not the worst WrestleMania promo in history. <laughs> hey, you know what, man? Nobody ever accused him of being a great promo. And they won't after this either. Meltzer would write, Yokozuna looks to have actually gained weight since he was last seen, particularly in the lower body. Uh, it gets two stars. You know what's coming. Owen and Yoko win the tag titles. I actually like this. And believe it or not, it's Owen's first title in the company, maybe long overdue at this point. It's Yoko's first match back since Survivor Series 94, where he lost a casket match to Undertaker. And we recently did a long show about the Undertaker, or I'm sorry, Yokozuna, where he talks about what he was doing in his off time. Um, and you told stories about him eating turkey ass and mayonnaise. Talk to me a little bit about Yoko as the mystery partner for Owen. Was anybody else ever considered? There's rumor and innuendo reported by uh, Wade Keller that quote, Chris Benoit has been contacted by the WWF sources say the WWF wants, uh, Benoit to team with Davey boy to reform a British bulldogs type team. Benoit for now is sticking with Japan and ECW. We had a lot of folks wonder what Owen Hart and Chris Benoit have become tag champs here. Yeah, that was never discussed. So that might've been fantasy discussed when Jim Ross was talking to Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer or something, but I don't, is just so I was so never I'm, seriously considered. Just so I'm clear, is this shit on JR Day for you? Just asking. No, I'm not shitting on JR. I'm giving you what, uh, because Jim would always bring up like Chris Benoit and people like that. So I could imagine that when they're talking, that that would come up. Right. Well, so it was always Yoko. No, nobody else ever considered it. And, and if not, why did you think Yoko and Owen would be a good tag team? If nothing else, it was more for Yoko from the standpoint of not being able to go out, not knowing where he was. He was off for all that time to lose weight and not really knowing if he did or not. And whether he could go in a singles run, put him in a tag team, get him a worker that could actually work around him, still have Yokozuna in a prevalent position. So... That that was the whole idea behind it. You get the star power of Yokozuna, you get the workhorse and star power of Owen Hart, and that's a pretty damn good team because it's Owen can do all the work and Yoko can come in and do all the power shit. The next match is Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund in an I Quit match. It's a rematch from their Survivor Series match where uh, Bob beat Bret for the world title. Uh, when Bob's designated corner man, Owen Hart, would talk to his mom, Helen, and talk her into throwing the towel in. Uh, this of course happens when Bob had Brett in the crossface chicken wing. So here we've got the guy who won and closed the show at WrestleMania 10, Bret Hart. And he was in the main event of WrestleMania nine. We're back at 11. He's not in the main event and he is working with a former champion, but one that I don't think had very much steam here. And it's in an, I quit match, but we're trying to add some garnish when we can. Roddy Piper is our special guest referee and Meltzer would say it was the largest pop on the card even over Brett for uh, Roddy Piper star in a quarter, not the best match 
that Brett ever had, not the best opponent for him. And it just feels like Brett's being sort of misused a little bit here. What say you? I completely disagree. I think that this was a great program from, I know Brett didn't like it. However, Brett went out and got matches out of Bob and it played to Bob's strengths because Bob was a wrestler. Brett was a wrestler and all of their shit looked real because it was, and they busted they, they beat the shit out of each other and you couldn't see through anything that they did. I, I loved the story. I thought that the story was a damn good story. It involved Owen and it involved the parents and the family. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I really do. Because again, there was so much there that you could bite into. Let's talk a little bit about the match itself. Uh, what do you think? I mean, this is the second I'm, straight time. Roddy Piper is the special guest referee for a Bret Hart match. Uh, Bob's last pay-per-view match was, uh, as we said, uh, survivor series, but this would be his last singles match. I think he would appear at the 96 and 2000, uh, Royal rumble. His record on pay-per-view for the company would wind up being one and seven with the only win being over uh, Brett at the survivor series the prior year. But just when you stack it up, man, it just, it doesn't feel like something. And again, I know that you're going to deny this, but it does feel a little bit like Vince had maybe lost confidence in Brett, uh, on a, a grand stage. You know, we tried him at nine and we, we pivoted to Hogan. We tried him at 10 business didn't work exactly the way we wanted. Now we're going to try it with diesel here. We don't really know that we have enough confidence in that. So we're bringing LT in. So now Brett sees his spot just sliding a great deal, but supposedly he's your top guy internationally and he's working with Bob Backlund, who I don't think had very much steam coming into this. I think Bob had a shitload of steam with Brett coming into this. They had a story. They had a story and it made sense and people were into it. So, you know, to that, no, they, they definitely did have a story and Brett was a part of the picture and Brett became a part of the picture after the fact as well. So it, it's like, God damn, you, you know, it, it's just cause you're not in the last fucking match. Doesn't mean you're not important. Well, but he still sees, you know, Sean diesel and even bam, bam, Bigelow working over him. So no, he doesn't. How, who, the, who sees that? Well, everybody's watching the pay-per-view. Dude, the order of the matches. No, that's I, just old. I, that's old school antiquated thinking. I'm not saying that, that from my perspective, I'm saying you have to think that's what Brett's thinking. I mean, the biggest match at WrestleMania 18, we all know was rock Hogan. It didn't go on last, but I'm just saying in terms of an old school guy who Kevin Nash and Scott Hall used to refer to as the $400,000 world champion, him being in the world title picture in the main event going on last probably mattered to Brett more than other guys. It, I'm sure it did matter to Brett. I'm sure that in Brett's mind that if he wasn't wrestling for the championship, that it was beneath him. Well, let's talk about who is wrestling for the championship. That's our next match. It's diesel defending his world title against Shawn Michaels. Diesel had originally come in as Shawn's bodyguard later wins the intercontinental title. And then even the tag titles with Shawn at the 94 survivor series, Shawn accidentally kicks diesel in the face. That leads to an argument where they dissolve the tag team and vacate the championship. And then three days later, Diesel beats Bob Backlund to become the world champion all at Madison square garden. Of course, we know Shawn Michaels then wins the Royal rumble and gets his opportunity to get a title match at WrestleMania. And here we are 
Diesel gets the pin to retain in 20 minutes and 35 seconds. Meltzer would say this was a very good match, but it was all Shawn Michaels. Uh, to recap, Taturo is the ring announcer. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is the timekeeper. With Anderson missing, Shawn Michaels comes out with Jenny McCarthy. And then when Diesel comes out, he's with Pam Anderson, solving the mystery of where she was. And uh, these guys try to tear it up, man. It's a really good match. Probably the best match on the card. Four stars. And uh, I believe Kevin Nash says that uh, Diesel... Uh, had his work cut out for him this day because the heartbreak kid tried to blow him up. And when you watch this match back, you can see that Sean is working wide open at a breakneck pace, trying to blow up diesel. And, uh, eventually they hit a rhythm and it's one of the worst looking power bombs you've ever seen, but still he gets the win. He brings all the celebrities in to celebrate four stars. What'd you think? I thought it was the Shawn Michaels show. It was. And that's exactly, I think, what Sean went out there to do. But in Sean's, in Sean's head, Sean was going out there to get Diesel over better than Diesel had ever gotten over before by bouncing all over for him and doing everything under the sun to make Kevin Nash appear larger than life and be the man. In doing that, it made Sean even more so the man because people are watching that going, fuck. He's the guy and they're popping on Sean stuff because he was so fucking good. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But, I mean, it, it's um, from a match standpoint, from everything about it, Sean went out there and did what Sean intended to do, and that was to steal the show. Yeah, they definitely do. And it does feel like. Uh, and, and even Brett is on record as saying he thinks Sean tried to sabotage him, uh, sabotage diesel in this match with the pace he was working, but it does feel like Sean is working with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, we've heard so much about the click and, and the negativity and how they felt like they deserved the spots. And, and now it's finally happening. It's a world title quote unquote main event with him and his buddy, you know, two of the leaders of the click but they're not going on last and he's not winning the world title. Um, I could see how he would have a, a chip on his shoulder. He did. He did have a chip on his shoulder big time and felt that, you know, he felt that they should have been on last. He felt that they were, he just felt that he was the best one there and he was going to show everyone that he was the best one there. And he did. Let's talk a little bit about the ringside photographers that come into play here. It's one of the first times that we saw just a ton of them at ringside. We would see them at other times, but it does feel like it is overkill here. There's so many that are allowed at ringside to the point that when Sean goes over the top rope, he actually lands on one of their photographers and then grabs him and, and slings him around a little bit. Um, Meltzer would write WWF led all the photographers at ringside at mania, but they got in Sean Michaels way during the title match. So the policy is thought to be over already. The company wanted as many photos of diesel surrounded by celebrities and of Taylor and Bigelow in as many places as possible. It's a good strategy. Does Sean complain? And that's what gets it explained or did Vince realize, God damn, this looks like shit. It looked like shit. Yeah. I mean, it just looked like shit. And that's one of the reasons a, you know, the first time when they didn't have photographers at ringside was because of the WWE magazine and all of that. 
but then they started letting them be in hard camera positions and things of that nature. But to have all those guys around the ring who are not wired and don't know what's coming and everything else, it looks like shit. It just really looks like shit. And it looked like crap. And it made it, it just made it cluttered. And they're dressed like bums. And they're watching the match, not paying attention and shit. And it, it just looks sloppy. Not a fan. Sean had a much uh, thinner look here. Uh, Wade Keller would report Sean Michaels is dedicated to being as slim as possible in time for WrestleMania. His goal is to weigh less than 200 pounds and have defined abs, both for the sake of appearance and endurance. He's taking it very seriously. The idea of having to carry the wrestling end of the WWF's biggest show of the year with diesel. It does feel like he was motivated and he was ready to prove a point. And, and there's no arguing that he did because this will be, uh, the last time that he leaves WrestleMania, not world champion. Of course, this is his first time in the quote unquote main event for the belt. We know he's going to win it the next year and he's probably having fun doing it. This is the second WrestleMania in a row where he's working with one of his old pals. Of course, the prior year he was in there with razor and the click isn't officially formed at this time. Triple H is here for the very first day. Um, and I think you've even said on some of the old shows that Vince had said Sean would never be his champion. Obviously that changes how much of this match changed Vince's mind. I think it was the entire previous three months more than anything that kind of changes my mind is the groundswell. Just they weren't going to be denied and the audience let everybody know that they wanted Sean and Sean let them know that, Hey, I'm here. I'm gonna come out and I'm going to do my shit for you every week. And Man, to me, this was some of the best Shawn Michaels of all time in ring. I uh, can't, you know, you go back and look at Shawn's matches and shit. The guy, give a shit, hate him or not. People don't like him because of what they think his attitude was or whatever. But the son of a bitch delivered every single time. And he would. He was a pro all the way through. So give me a Shawn Michaels match any day of the week and the son of a bitch will, will deliver. Does Sean have any problems with losing clean in the middle to his friend? Do you remember if that debate was not at all? What about, what do you think of the way Sean took the jackknife? Well, that wasn't all on Sean. Just, I, I, I'm not a fan of the way that the diesel gave the jackknife. Okay. So, um, you know, Vader, Vader did it, you know, and Vader would bring guys down and, and land them flat and Kevin would let them go. I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of letting them go. It's just, you know, difference in, in the way they do it. I think it's backstage at this show. I think triple H tells the story or maybe it's Sean. Uh, either way, Sean and Kevin are sitting backstage at the show, getting ready, going over some things. Triple H comes over, introduces himself. And says, Terry Taylor suggested that, uh, I hang out with you guys. So he comes and asks if he can travel with them and they agree. And the wheels are in motion, man. We got a little traveling band here. The click is on the way. The rest is history. All right. Was there any debate about what should go last? Or did you guys always know it would be Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor? We went in knowing it was going to be Bigelow Taylor. 
That's our final match here. We talked a little bit about how this got started. Again, it's the 95 Royal Rumble. LT sitting ringside and Bam Bam pushes LT. And he does so because he thought LT was laughing at him because he just lost a, uh, a tag team title match. And a couple of weeks after the rumble, Bigelow was forced to publicly apologize to LT, but a week or so later, he retracts his apology, says he wants him in the ring and LT had no right coming to the rumble, despite being an invited guest of diesel and laughing at Bigelow on his home turf and Bigelow keeps challenging LT every week. And seemingly every week, LT's manager or lawyer is appearing on TV to tell Bigelow to stop defaming LT and challenging him because he's not going to wrestle him. But as you know, he eventually accepts the challenge. And it was said that diesel was training LT for the match. Of course, that's total bullshit. I'm sure it's just a way to sprinkle some LT dust on diesel, right? Yeah, exactly. And who really just, trained uh, Lawrence Taylor, if I'm guessing, right? Probably Pat Patterson. It was bam, bam and Pat. What did the training consist of? Are they working out at a facility in the Northeast at, at, at a, a local school? Are they training? No, they, they worked out in the, in the warehouse every night. The warehouse that you and I've been to. No. The original warehouse. Okay. Uh, either way, Bigelow and uh, LT had the stare down at the WrestleMania press conference. Then they have another physical, physical altercation at the public workout in Times Square. So lots of hype being brought in here. Bam Bam's going to come to the ring with the million dollar corporation at ringside. Of course, that means Ted DiBiase, Tatanka, Nikolai Volkov, King Kong Bundy, Kama, and IRS. LT has a bunch of football players come out and they all get big introductions one by one. Uh, the biggest pops of course, go to Reggie white and Steve McMichael, but Ken Norton, uh, Chris Spielman, Ricky Jackson, Carl banks, they're all here and salt and Peppa do a special version of what a man prior to the match that is eliminated off of the network, but they did perform the song and, uh, these corner guys, as we said, are introduced one at a time. And Pat Patterson is introduced as the special guest referee. I assume he's here to make sure LT doesn't lose his spot. Safety and, and Pat, you know, Pat had been in the ring with these guys all the way through and just, it was a, it was a comfort sure, to have Pat in there because that's what LT was used to. And again, to, to make sure that he, he leads it all along the way. Meltzer had high praise for this. He says it would be inaccurate to call this a technically good match, but LT was better than any non wrestler I've ever seen put in such a position. What do you think of this? I mean, that's high praise from somebody who is usually a skeptic. You were there. How do you think LT did for a first timer? I thought he, I thought he did great. He was a natural athlete and he was able to, to go in there and hang with one of the best, but he had the, he had the best to work with too. in in bam, bam. So, but he was dedicated. He put the work in you know, there's guys just want to come in and, oh, okay, I'll learn how to take a bump here. And we'll, we'll try and work it out in a couple of days. No, LT did it for months and trained and learned what to do and learned how to do it safely and learned how to do it well. So my hat goes off to him. It's guys like him and Floyd Mayweather. Floyd put the work in, but um, some guys do, some guys don't. Meltzer would also say LT's psychology and selling were impressive for a first-timer. The biggest pop of the night comes when uh, – they do uh, a shove and then LT slaps Bigelow, huge pop. 
You know what's coming though. Bigelow gets an ear fall after a headbutt off the top, and then LT uses a shoulder block and a forearm off the middle rope. There's your pin. One, two, three. LT wins. And as Bigelow is walking back to the locker room, Ted DiBiase is berating him, calling him an embarrassment for losing to a football player. So we've got a way to sort of move Bigelow uh, away from being a heel. Now he's got an opportunity to be a babyface. It gets two and three quarter stars. Who do you think deserves the most credit for this match? Bigelow, LT, Pat Patterson, or all the above? All the above, but hats off big time to to Bam Bam for making it happen and and being able to lead in there because Bam Bam was leader and Bam Bam is the one that really made it work. This was promoted as like uh, first time, one time, last time, or something like that. Uh, supposed to be just LT sort of one and done. After seeing how successful it was and how we did. Did Vince ever try to do something else with him? Yeah, there was always talk. There was always, hey, man, you know, you ever want to do this? The door's open. But like LT had his commentary gigs and and all that and just never really worked out. The talk for a long time is Bigelow was promised a quote-unquote big babyface push if he loses to LT. Of course, we do see him turn babyface, but we don't see the big push. Was this just a... I mean, did, did he have any sort of gripe about the creative or was he happy to be in the spot and get the big payday? Well, we did try. I mean, we, we tried the push with Bam Bam and it's, uh, it just didn't, it didn't pan out. It really didn't work. The audience, I don't think that they like, well, they liked Bam Bam, but they just weren't going to accept him as, is the top guy. And we tried to get there, but there was just something missing with Bam Bam. And I think that was the case wherever he went. It's worth mentioning the next night on raw, we see Alundra blaze regain the women's title after beating bull Nakano and immediately after the match monster ripper or Rhonda Singh, the future birth of Faye, would attack Alundra and put her out of action for several months. But then this is worth talking about Sid and Sean do an in-ring interview with Vince and he's saying, I can do, I can live my life just fine without a bodyguard. And you see Sid's facial expression change. Michaels blames Sid for interfering and causing the referee to turn his ankle. So he says he's doing Sid a favor and giving him the day off. And Sid calls Michaels a stupid little puke, demands respect, and then they cut to a break. And when they return, Sean is flat on his back and Diesel was making the save. Sid wound up power bombing him several times, which turned Sean babyface. Chat me up here. Why the decision to do the babyface turn just one night after WrestleMania? And was that the plan heading into WrestleMania? Because on paper, it doesn't make much sense. 100% was not the plan. And 100% was Pat and I waiting in a car for Vince to come down to drive to Poughkeepsie and Vince getting in the car and saying, God damn it, guys. Why in the fuck? We have a baby face on our hands. Why am I the only one that sees it? And Pat and I kind of thought, we thought he was ribbon. And they shoot our ass out for not seeing that Sean was Michael, uh, that Sean was a baby face, even though we'd been telling him that for a year. And it's like, God damn, we got to adjust. They love that little fucker. <laughs> and we completely rewrote six weeks TV. And if I remember correctly, you and, uh, and, and Pat had been pushing for this for quite a while. Yeah. And for then, a year. and then he's upset. God damn it. Why doesn't everyone see what I see? We've got a baby face. Yeah. 
Overall, the uh, Wrestling Observer Reader poll gave this 32.1% thumbs up, 40.8% thumbs down, 27% thumbs in the middle. You saw it this week for the first time in a long time. What'd you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. No, I thought it was, I mean, thumbs up. It was, it was an okay show. It was a, it was a good show. Wasn't a great show. Wasn't one of those that you go back and go, oh, there were all these great moments. I enjoyed the stuff with Bam Bam and LT. I enjoyed Diesel and Sean. And I enjoyed Brett and Backlund. The rest of it, eh, it's okay. But it didn't feel like a huge WrestleMania show to me, I guess, in comparison to, to what we've become to expect. So, yeah. Um I just thought it, I thought it was good. Wasn't great. Sean and diesel win the reader poll for the best match for 205 votes. Undertaker and Bundy win the worst match with a hundred. Yes, they do. Votes. By God. <laughs> uh, where do you rank WrestleMania 11 out of all the WrestleManias you were a part of? There were some stinkers. Nine wasn't great. 11 sucked. Uh, are those the two worst? It's going to rate down in the bottom five. 16 kind of sucked too. WrestleMania 2000, uh, McMahon in every corner. That wasn't great either. Yeah, but this one, yeah, this is going to be in the bottom five. Well, there you go. Bottom five. We took to Twitter and we said, Hey, do you got a question for Bruce about WrestleMania 11? Uh, we got hundreds of responses. No way we can get to all of them. We'll hit a few rapid fire. Bruce, are you ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to get. Steven writes. Jim Cornette once said Lawrence Taylor was blown up so bad after the match to the point that the EMS had to come check on him. Can you confirm the story? He was high as kite, man. He was good. I mean, he was, he was definitely out of breath. That's for damn sure. I think that's what we're talking about, that he was just blown up and needed oxygen. But do you think, Yeah, but, but I mean, no more so than, than anybody else really, but yeah, he was, it took a lot out of him. That's for damn sure. Jeff wants to know at this point, were you aware of the undertaker's WrestleMania streak? No. <laughs> God damn. Mr. William wants to know besides Shawn Michaels, who else was frustrated with photographers that night? You, you said it looked like shit, but I was, did he I the, was very frustrated. I hated it. I think everybody from production on, uh, you know, uh, the, the talent, anybody had anything to go outside. It just, it was not a, it was not a good idea. We tried it. Yeah, we did try it. Uh, Justin Hone writes in who with the WWF struggled to understand the Roman numerals the most. That feels like something you'd have fun with. <laughs> Besides me, I hate it. I always have to count. I always have to go. Okay. Wait, the X means. Okay. So that, yeah, that would be me. The Rosen coaster wants to know why was the fucking audio so bad on this show? Uh, it, it is sort of fun to, to look back at this and see so many production snafus and it just sticks out because you never see that these days by comparison. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just have a, have a bad night and it, and yeah, that I chalk it up to a bad night. Oh, Chad wants to know. If we can get Bruce's version of what a man in Cornette's voice. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a very good man. Goddamn motherfucker. What a T, what a T, what a T, what a very LT. Motherfucker. 
How exhausted are you right now? Fuck you, motherfucker. I can just hear it in your voice. You're petering out. Is this the most stressful week you've ever had in wrestling? <laughs> oh, fuck. This is my life. I mean, this is seriously top five most stressful, huh? This, 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 this could take the cake. This could be number one. But we, we can report that you're, uh, you're home, you're safe. And, and I'm, every, home, I'm safe. I'm healthy. I'm just tired as fizz up. Well, we appreciate you making time to do it. We're sorry. The show was delayed today. Obviously, if you've been paying attention to the world, you understand why, uh, next week we're bringing you something totally different. We're really excited to do it. Uh, or at least I'm excited to do it. It's WrestleMania 21. Uh, and this is going to be a fun show because there's so much great stuff that happened on this one. We talked about one of the worst shows in WrestleMania history. I think next year or next week's show is maybe one of the more underrated ones. Uh, on top, we've got Batista and Triple H. We've got John Cena and JBL. We've got Aki Bono and Big Show. Talk about a spectacle. How about Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, Undertaker and Randy Orton, Trish Stratus and Christy Hemme, and then a crazy Money in the Bank ladder match with Edge, uh, Christian Benoit, Chris Jericho, Kane and Shelton Benjamin. And how about Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio? Just top to bottom, man, an all-star cast. That's what's coming your way next week. And we should mention we have a new super Patreon that starts on Monday with five count them five bonus shows, one from every single show that we do. And, uh, all of our shows here on Westwood one, you'll be able to get early and add free and notes from the shows, but our bonus episode for something to wrestle WrestleMania eight, one of our most requested topics. No, Bruce wasn't there, but this is a fun show. I watched it again for the first time in a long time. I'm looking forward to talking about WrestleMania eight with you next week, dude. Rock on. Check it out. Right. Check it out right now. If you haven't already Adfreeshows.com. It's been going to be up and live on Monday and, uh, you're going to want to be a part of this. We've got lots of fun stuff coming your way. It's my entire network of shows here on Westwood one and stay tuned next week. We're going to be bringing you WrestleMania 21 and I'm sure we'll have, uh, a post on Twitter pinned to the top, asking you for questions about WrestleMania 21. If you'd like to ask Bruce a question about that show, cruise on over right now to at Pritchard show on Twitter. And until next week, he's Bruce Pritchard. I'm at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. I'm glad you're home, buddy. Glad you're safe. Oh, fuck. I'm going back to sleep. Good night. Good night. Yes. Hello. This is Dave Silva. How are you, my friend? I am pretty good. How about yourself? I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Uh, I would love to spend some time with you talking about your experience here with Save With Conrad. Is that okay? Yeah, we can do that. What made you go to Save With Conrad in the first place? Ads on the on the show and knowing that uh, it'd probably be a good idea for me to refinance because it's been a few years, so might as well support something that I've been getting for free for a few years. Was there something specific that Conrad said on uh, the podcast that made you kind of take that step forward? I just knew that it was about time to refinance, and, you know, I just thought about supporting supporting you guys, you know, because I've been getting free entertainment all week, every day I work. Now, I see here that Derek was able to help you with the refinance. Um, How would you describe working with Derek? Oh, he was fantastic. I didn't have to worry about nothing. It was easy. We texted back and forth if there was questions. So no long drawn out phone calls to try and get a hold of one another. Just 
If there was questions, just simple texting back and forth. It was quick and easy. Not a, not a worry in the world. If there was one thing that you could say was your favorite part about working with our team, what would that be? Just how, how smooth and convenient it was where, like I said, I didn't have to sit on the phone on hold for hours and try to make appointments to talk with somebody. It was just, just super simple. Easy as can be. Off the top of your head, Edmund, would, do you remember how much you were able to save through working with us? I knocked two years off my loan, so yeah, it's about sixty thousand dollars, I guess. Now, would you would you recommend this to a friend or a family member? Absolutely, yeah. So, what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than forty states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game, every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.